0: Of our series of bite-sized gospel, and if you haven't been with us, you haven't missed a whole lot. Um, I would encourage you to go back and listen to Shane's sermon last week, where we started in Genesis three. But over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to just be looking at big chunks chunks of scripture over uh, over the whole Bible uh, that really just try and encapsulate the key components and features of what the good news of Jesus is. And so, uh, as we've been saying before, we want to have a better fluency in the good news of Jesus, in the gospel. And so that's why we're doing this series. And we're going to keep doing this for the rest of the uh, few weeks, is that we want to have a better grasp and understanding of what is it that we are about. If we say that we're about the gospel, we're about the good news of Jesus, what is this? And so last week, Shane did an incredible job walking us through Genesis 3, where we learned we are sinners and we need Jesus, right? And so now this week, we're going to look at Romans 1 and just seven verses. And we're going to find out. Who is this person we call Jesus? Who is Jesus? And so I don't know, anybody in here readers of books? Anybody? Just you love to read books? Okay, we've got some readers in here. You know, every book starts off with this thing called a preface, right? And let's just all admit it, who reads the preface? I mean, seriously, nobody does. They're, you know, they're thanking their, you know, they're thanking their family. They're telling the reason why they wrote the book, blah, 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 you know. We skip the preface because we're like, man, I got like 13 other chapters to read. Why do I need to read this preface, right? But prefaces are important. We need to remember that. Prefaces to books are important. And so much so that Paul gives us a preface here, Romans 1, 1 through 7. It's a preface to his book. It's an introduction. It, it, just like letters have introductions, Is he's giving us an introduction here. And here is a preface that you do not want to skip these first seven verses. You don't want to skip these because they are jam-packed with information that tell us what is this book of Romans all about? What is Jesus all about? Right? So don't skip this. Don't skip these first seven verses because it gives us a roadmap for the rest of the book of Romans. And so here's what we're going to start off with. Is the first point is this, is Paul is going to tell us about the origin of the gospel. What is the origin of the gospel? And ultimately, the point's going to come out to this the good news is not new news can we say that the good news is not new news right we are all very very uh um, i guess aware of breaking news right when we're watching tv and we see that little red bar at the bottom of our screen start scrolling and little white letters go across you know that's, that's breaking news, and you tur- tune into that, right? You already know, okay, I'm about to be told something that I've never heard before. I'm about to hear and read something that has just happened, that's unexpected, that's surprising. It's going to be all those things to me, and I'm about to learn something I've never heard before, right? No matter how uh, lame the information is, I just know something is about to be told to me that I has never been said before, right? That's what breaking news is, breaking news. And we we, we wait th- those things. We 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 look forward to that that surprise. We look forward to that unexpected piece of information. Well, here is what Paul is saying in Romans one through seven: the gospel is not breaking news. The gospel is not breaking news. Things that you've never heard, things that you've never seen, things that have uh, are, are total novelty. It's not any of those things. Well, actually, the good news of the gospel has been proclaimed from the beginning. And it's come to fruition in the person of Jesus. It's not unexpected. It's not surprising. It's not breaking news. It's just as it was foretold. And many of you know, uh, I I would assume that we're all in the same category on these things. But when you hear that something is new or novelty or an innovation, you already have a bit of, if you're like me, some skepticism to it, right? Some suspicion. Somebody comes to you, okay, look. You gotta invest in this. You gotta put your money in this, because the world has not seen anything like this. You got. You gotta get in now. If you don't get in now, you're gonna lose this big opportunity. Because the world, nobody has ever thought of this. You ever heard that phrase when somebody says that? Nobody has ever thought of this, right? And then you're like, seriously? We nobody's ever thought of that, really. Come on, is it really, really that? novel is it really that rare is it really that out of the ordinary so you're already suspicious of uh, of an idea if it's claimed as new and innovative and, and and out of the ordinary and unlike any other thing and separated from all the things you're already suspicious you're already skeptical about those things because it doesn't show that something has authenticity to it that it's genuine when it's presented as new or groundbreaking, in a sense. And this is the point that Paul is trying to get at with this gospel, when he starts talking about the gospel of God in the first verse. He says, I'm a servant of these things. I, I, I'm an apostle. I've been set apart for these things. But what I'm about to tell you is not a novelty. What I'm about to tell you is not an innovation of what something that I've concocted. This is not a contrivance of man. What I'm telling you, that this gospel is not something that I've created. It's actually something that I've received. I'm an inheritor of these things. I'm not an originator of these things. That's what Paul's trying to get at in the first verse here: that this gospel is from God. He's not an originator, but a receiver of this gospel message. And so we get the we get our word that we've created, but you know that we've said bite-sized gospel. It happens here, right here in verse one. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the what? The gospel of what? God. You know, of God is a really big prepositional phrase. You know that? I know it looks like just two words, and you might just stand over like, of God, who cares? What what importance is that? There's a lot of importance in the word of. Two letters, big word. Because of is saying, this is from someone. That this gospel has its origin in the divine, from God. Of God means a lot because it's saying that this gospel has come from God Himself. It is not from any man's own thinking that he didn't, no man has innovated this, has created this, has thought this up. This is from God, this gospel. And so this is where the gospel gets its power, its authority, its authenticity, because it comes from God Himself and God alone. This is not a contrivance or innovation of man, but a message that has its origins in the divine. And that's what Paul wants to make clear, that there's authenticity to this good news, because it doesn't come from him. Because if it did, you can see how people would be skeptical of it. But he says, this good news, I did not create it, but it is from God himself. Right? Paul says it similarly in 2 Corinthians 11, 7, listen to this. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? That means God has the ownership over this thing. This is his message. This is his news that he has given to Paul. Paul is not a creator of these things. And so just as this is not breaking news, that this isn't novel, it's come from God himself, it's also not new news because it was already foretold before. Look at what it says here. Verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Not only is this gospel from God, but this has not been hidden from us. This has been foretold way back in the Old Testament. That's what the Scriptures are, the Old Testament. That's what Paul has. He says, these things haven't just been instantly revealed to you right now. These things have been foretold even even back, even back so far as we went last week in Genesis 3. Right? It hasn't been hidden, but it's been revealed even in Genesis three. In a in a chapter that's all about how this world is completely broken and that we have sinned and marred everything. There's a glimmer of hope in Genesis chapter three, right? Shane brought that out last week. Genesis three fifteen. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of sin, in the midst of brokenness of this world, there's a little hope that there's gonna come one. There's gonna come one. And he's gonna fix our problem. going to deal with our sin and he's going to crush the serpent's head that's the glimmer of hope in these things so we don't even get to page four before we get the good news that Jesus is coming it only takes four if you're counting the table of contents it's page four of the bible where we get the good news of Jesus Christ this serpent crusher who's going to come and deal with our sin and so this good news has been foretold even back in Genesis 3 and Paul brings it up again in Galatians Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. He says that he preached the gospel to Abraham, commenting on Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And so, just so we get aware, the origin of this gospel is from God, and that this gospel has been foretold in the Old Testament. It's not been hidden from us. So here's a point of application, and I know this may not resonate with you as strongly, but... Many of you probably in your head right now thinking, Wes, give give me something to walk away with from this. Okay. Yeah, this gospel's from God. Yeah, it's been foretold in the Old Testament. Give me give me something to do this week. Give me give, give me give me a peace application. Here's your peace application. Read the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament. Oh, Wes, no, 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 you gotta give me something I can apply to parenting. Here's I'll give it to you. Read the Old Testament. Oh no, 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 Wes, you gotta give me something to apply to my job. Okay. Read the Old Testament. That's what it is. That's what it is. If you're looking for a piece of application that you want to take home and apply every day, read the what? Okay, I want to make sure I said it enough times. Just want to make sure. Because guess what? The Old Testament is good for you. It's good for you. And I know a lot of you are maybe thinking, maybe you're like me, okay, I love Proverbs, don't get me wrong. And I, I love Psalms, but don't talk to me about Leviticus right now. Don't talk to me about Leviticus. Whew, man! I love. I, I, I'll just read the Psalms and the Proverbs. That's what, and maybe a little bit of Job. Throw that in there, and, and I'll read a couple chapters of Genesis. No, what Paul gets across is that this whole Old Testament is about the gospel. That it's all leading up to Jesus. That it's coming to fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is good for you. Paul says this in 2 Timothy three four fourteen through sixteen. You know this really well talking to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, from how childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that being the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God. So the Old Testament, what Paul is saying, is it can lead you to Jesus. It can lead you to faith in the Messiah, Christ Jesus. So read the Old Testament. That's how that's the application. Read the Old Testament because it's good for us. It's God's word; He's breathed out the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is meant to lead us to Jesus. So remember that when you're working your way, tr- trudging through the Book of Leviticus, it's leading you to Jesus. When you're trudging your way through through Ecclesiastes, it's leading you to Jesus. When you're when you're just oh, one day after another, working through. The book is Chronicles. Whew. Those first nine chapters of Chronicles, when it's a whole genealogy, it's leading you to Jesus. So keep doing it. And not only that, is that I think think Paul gives us another point of application in the sense of when he brings together this idea that 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 this Jesus is everything that the Old Testament has been prophesying. Is that the Old Testament and New Testament are not against one another, right? they're not against one another they're, they're they're unified in their message it's like two different voices singing the same song if you want to think of it like that you got two different voices singing the same song that they're all the whole bible is meant to lead you to jesus christ so you have the old testament voice the new testament voice singing the same song maybe in different tunes maybe in different different sounds they're singing the same song to lead you to jesus so what's the application Read thee, because it's meant to lead you to Jesus. And so after Paul solidifies this first point, is that this gospel, I didn't make it up. I didn't innovate it. I didn't create it. This is from God, and it's been foretold even as far back as Genesis 3. He solidifies. This is the origin of the gospel story. This is it. So now he wants to move on to the second point. Is this okay, I give you the origin of the gospel, where it came from. What's the content of it? What's its makeup? What are its components? What is it about? This is point number two, the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Have you ever been in a conversation where you're talking with somebody or maybe in a meeting, and they're just talking around the issue? They're never really getting to the issue. They're kind of talking around it, beating around the bush a little bit, and you're like, just come on, let's get to the point. You ever been in a conversation like that? Just get to the point. Get to, what, what are we here for? What, what, what? Why'd you call this meeting? You're you're beating around the bush, talking around the issues. Just get right to it, right? Get to the heart of the matter. And for Paul, right here in Romans one one through seven, is that he's not beating around the bush. He's not running circles like this around the issue. He's getting straight to it and saying. This is the heart of the matter. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what the gospel is focusing in on. It is the person and work of Jesus. Now, let me tell you who he is. This is what he's doing. This is the focus of the gospel. And so he says, what is the gospel of God? What is it? And then he goes on to say it's this. Verse 3, it's concerning his son. And then he goes on to give a lot of these descriptions of who this son is. Now, you may be a little bit surprised. Because you, maybe you thought, okay, he should have said, you know, this gospel of God is the way to live a good life. Or this gospel of God is how to get to heaven. But he didn't say either one of those, does he? He didn't say, hey, uh, this is the gospel of God. Here's how you live a good life. Or this is the gospel of God. This is how you get to heaven. No. Uh, as one author says, those are actually kind of the byproducts of the gospel, not the gospel itself. Those are the byproducts of the gospel holy living and eternal security in Christ Jesus? Now he says that the heart of the gospel is not your way of life. It's not your eternal destination. No, it's actually a person. The gospel is a person, that person being his son, Jesus. That's what it is. And so Shane said it really well last week, is that you ask 100 people on the, on the street, what is the gospel? You're going to get 100 different responses, right? You're going to get 100 different things. But Paul wants to be very clear that there is objectivity here to what this gospel of God is. It's not one up for debate. It's not one up for opinion. We're not going to take polls on what it is or anything like that. No, he's very clear. This gospel of God is not a set of ideas to comply with. It's not a theory to prove. It's not a systematic theology book to study. It's not a checklist to accomplish. The good news is a a person that we give allegiance to. So Paul goes on, and he's got to stack on all these titles and descriptions of what of who Jesus is, to give us the identity of who he is. And it's almost like a, a you know, I don't know if you've ever done a criminal sketch before. Um, I'm I'm pretty much a professional at it. I, I've watched uh, TV shows that do it, Law and Order stuff like that. Uh, so what they do, you know, if you know what a criminal sketch is, is that they'll they'll go to the criminal, ar- you know, sketch artist, and they'll say, well, he's got a he had a mustache, he was. Six foot three kind of bulky, you know, uh, dark hair, um, you know, had a uh, had this, you know, uh, you know, weird eyebrow, you know, you know, they, they give them little little uh, descriptions of who the person is so that they can compile all these things and then give you an image and identity of who this person is. Right. So you give them descriptions and they compile them all together and they give you a sketch of who the person is. And this is what Paul is doing for us in verses 3 and 4. He's kind of compiling all these things about Jesus to give us this identity picture of who Jesus is. Giving us a sketch of who he is. So he, he's putting all the details together to, us, to inform us of his true identity. It's almost like we're getting a little Christology handbook almost. right? Because in the story of the Old Testament, it's coming to fulfillment in Jesus. And this Jesus is, look at verse Three is that he is a son. Showing you that he is the eternal pre-existent son. He's always been the son of the father. And he has an intimate connection with the father. That's who this Jesus Christ is. And not only that, it goes on to say he was a descendant or descended from David according to the flesh. Well, why does it matter that he's a descendant of David? You ever ask, You may not ask these weird questions like I do, but I ask these weird Who cares that he's a descendant of David? What does it matter, right? Well, here's why it matters. Because in 2 Samuel 7, David is told, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son, and this son is going to sit on an eternal throne. And he is going to be an everlasting, eternal king. And that no one will depose him. And this king, what Isaiah 11, 1-5 says, he will bring true justice to this world and peace to this world. That's what this 2 Samuel 7 king will do. Now, here's the story of, of the book of Kings and the book of Samuel. You get these kings that come after, after David, and you think, this is the Second Samuel 7 guy. Oh, man, we found the Second Samuel 7 guy. He's it. And then guess what happens? He sins, and he's done. Okay, look at this guy. Oh, we, we got Ahab. Oh, he must be the king. No, he's done. Sins. Oh, oh, look at this guy. Uh, 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 This king, he's perfect. Look, he's doing some right things. He's doing good things. Sin's done. So the whole Old Testament is waiting for the second Samuel 7 king to come and sit on David's throne and sit on it forever and never be deposed. But guess what? The Old Testament ends and guess what? He hasn't come. He's not there. They've been released from exile and nothing's changed they don't have the king that they've been waiting for and so this is why it matters paul and not only paul but jesus himself says i'm the second samuel seven king that you've been waiting for and guess what yeah i may not look like a king but i am i'm this everlasting king who will bring true justice and righteousness into this world So he is this everlasting king. Not only that, is that he is the son of God in power. He has this intimate relationship with the father, but not only that, son of God is communicating. He's deity. He's God in the flesh. And he's proven this by his resurrection. This is why the resurrection is that important. By his resurrection from the dead. Is that the resurrection puts the stamp stamp of approval on who Jesus is and what he has come to do is that if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, guess what? Nothing matters. But by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus is proving, hey, I am who I say I am, and I have done what I've said I've come to do. And my resurrection proves this. And so all these titles kind of circle around by the resurrection from the dead, because he is none of these things without being raised from the dead. If he stays in the ground, he's no king. If he stays in the ground, he's no God. Because he's been raised from the dead, that puts the stamp of approval and confirmation that this Jesus is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. That means forgive us of our sins, cleanse us, atone for our sins, all these things. And now he has been exalted to the to the father's right hand. But not only that, he is the Christ, Jesus Christ. Okay, look, I'm not going to pretend like I didn't think this at one time, but Christ is not a last name. You know, this isn't Jesus Christ like Wes McKay, right? It's not a last name. Christ is, Christ is from the Old Testament, meaning the anointed one, the Messiah. And so when we see the word Christ in the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, he, he's putting his, uh, basically, his foot down in a sense and saying, I'm this Messiah that all Israel has been waiting for. I'm this anointed one of Psalm 2. I, I'm this one that everybody has been just sitting on their doorsteps, waiting on the edge of their seats for. I am the Christ who you've been waiting for. And not only that, he says Jesus Christ, and he is our Lord. Again, another title of deity, but also, Lord has a lot of connotations to it. Is that he's master, right? Paul's already called himself a servant in verse 1, a slave of Jesus Christ. Jesus is now saying, not only am I God, not only am I the everlasting king, I'm also your Lord. Basically, I am the master of your life. And if we are followers of Jesus Christ, that's what we're saying, is that Jesus is our master and our Lord, and we obey him. We obey him. So Paul stacks and jam packs all these titles and descriptions of who Jesus is to clearly give us who is this person because it's that important and now here's some application is that the danger for us is this is that there are a lot of distortions of the gospel out there there are a lot of distortions of the gospel out there a lot of people will try and convince you otherwise of this no this is actually the gospel no this is actually the gospel no this is actually the gospel well, well Here's, here's the point. Is that if you give a different answer that's not centered on Jesus, you got the gospel wrong. If you give a different answer that is not centered on Jesus, you got the gospel wrong. And this is what Paul warns them of in Galatians one. You remember that like really heated passage that he tells the Galatians. I can't believe that you would you would go after these other other gospels that aren't really a gospel at all. When I clearly told you. If anyone preaches a gospel to you, contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so the identity of Jesus is central, is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you get Jesus wrong, you get the whole thing wrong. Jesus is not just your homeboy. He's not just your friend. He's not just, you know, the guy who sits on your shoulder and tells you what right and wrong to do. Jesus is your Lord. He is God in flesh. He is everlasting King. You get that wrong, you get the gospel wrong. That's what it is. I think one of the errors that we make is that sometimes we make this good news and gospel all about me. One author says it like this. He says, one of our greatest errors is to place ourselves at the heart of the gospel we preach. One of the greatest errors that we commit is to put ourselves in the center of of what the gospel is. That's a danger. Because guess what? We're not the center and the focus of the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus is. Right? Romans 1, 1-7 won't allow us to do that. It won't allow us to do that. To make ourselves the center of the gospel. And I, I'll just, hopefully I don't step on toes when I'm about to say this. Is that sometimes when we share our testimonies or we share our faiths, Sometimes we make it sound a lot more about us and a lot more, less about Jesus. We make it sound a lot more about us and less about Jesus. I, I'll just give you an example. Some of our gospel presentations come out to be a lot about, about me. He's given me a good life. God's given me good health. God's given me a good family. God's given me a happy life. God's given me a nice car. I, I, I have all these things. He's been so good to me. That's not the gospel. Those are some of the byproducts of the gospel, and those things are great that God has blessed you. But that's not the gospel, right? That's not. Because you could have all those things without Jesus. You could have all those things without Jesus. You could have a happy life, a nice car, a nice home, good health, good family, good job, and not have Jesus. And on the flip side of that, you could have none of those things and have Jesus. You could be the poorest of the world in South Sudan, and you could have Jesus. And you could be the richest person in the world and not have a glimmer of Jesus. And so, cross point, listen to me very well. It's, it's great that God has blessed us with, with financial means and nice homes and nice cars, and, and, and those are great byproducts of the good news of Jesus. But that is not the good news of Jesus. Jesus is the good news. I can't overemphasize that. And so, who Jesus is and what He has done to deal with our sin problem, that's where it comes down to. and if if you're kind of appalled at what I said about you know how to share testimonies and things like that, I, I just let's take a page from Paul's book here. in Romans one one through seven, I don't hear a lot about Paul talking about himself. Yeah, he calls himself an apostle. Yeah, he calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus. But he doesn't talk a lot about himself. He doesn't appropriate a lot of time to him. He gives little attention to himself. And then he gets straight to pointing all attention to Jesus. That's what Paul does. Let's take a page out of his book on these things. So he gets at the heart of the gospel. So not only does he get to the origin of the gospel, the gospel is from God, but he gets to what is the heart of the gospel? What is the gospel about and it's about Jesus. But not only that, he's going to move us forward in the last couple of verses here. He's going to move us forward. What do we do with this good news of Jesus? What do we do with the gospel? Paul doesn't leave us here to think, okay, it's just about knowing Jesus. No, he, he's actually going to get us to instruct us on what is the goal of the gospel? This is point three, the goal of the gospel. The gospel is intended to be shared with all people in order to bring glory to Christ. A uh, couple years back, I was talking with Lee Green. You know, Lee Green works on houses and things like that. And I told him I was about to uh, about to deck my attic. We needed some more space in the attic. And uh, Mr. Lee, if you're listening to this, you'll you'll get a good laugh. But um, you know, I I told him I want to deck my attic. I'm going to deck it up there. And he said, No, don't do it. Don't do it. I said, Why? I mean, he said, You deck your attic, you will find stuff to put there. You will find stuff to put there you will hoard like you've never hoarded before. He's right. And I did it. I fill, I, I decked it, and I filled it. And now i got to deck some more. Right? Anybody a hoarder in here? Don't worry. It's Look, we all do it. We all have this tendency inside of us to say, I may need that one day. right? Anybody ever think that? Like, oh, don't throw that out. I need that one day. Like, I mean, I have some of the most random stuff, like, my baby pillowcases and stuff like that, or, you know, like I'm going to sleep on those again, you know, like just random stuff, like used batteries, like why would I need used batteries again? Why would I, like I take them out of the flashlight, throw them in a drawer, why? Throw them away, Wes. What, you're not going to reuse them. And so we have this tendency inside of us just to hoard things and keep things to ourselves, right? To say, "I may need that one day. Let's let's keep it in. Let's keep it inside. Let's let's hold hold it just a little bit longer. Don't you know? Let's not get rid of it yet. Uh, let's wait a couple months. Maybe we'll see if we use it then." We, we have this tendency to hoard and keep on to things, right? What Paul is saying in for in Romans one one through seven says this: the gospel is not meant to be hoarded. It's meant to be handed. The gospel is not meant to be hoarded. It's meant to be handed out to people. Because sometimes we have that tendency inside ourselves too with this beautiful gospel that has been given to us about the person of Jesus Christ and that we want to hoard this thing and say, I'm going to keep this to myself. I'm going to hold on to these things. But Paul's saying the gospel is not about being hoarded. It's about being handed, handed out to others. Look at what he says here verses 5 through 7 says says, he has been made an apostle by Jesus' grace and kindness and the purpose of him being made an apostle is to bring about the obedience of faith the purpose of receiving this gospel is that it may be proclaimed to the whole world to all the nations right that's what he says for the sake of his name among all the nations that people would hear and come to know the good news of Jesus, what he has just outlined in verses 3 and 4. That, that it's pur- that's its purpose is not to be hold- held on to so tightly and gripped to be hoarded, but actually to be handed out and told to all, to all nations, all peoples, all Gentiles. That's what are saying, that's the purpose of the gospel, is to be handed, not hoarded. It's a message that so affects us so strongly that we have to, to let it out and we all have those things in our lives that we love to tell other people about right we all have those things you know we have those things that we just love to 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 talk to about with other people you know we got a new dress and so you want to show off your dress how you like my new dress I don't do that not me not me you like my new dress you showed off to other people right you got a new TV? Come on over! Come on over! Come on over! W- we gotta watch the game on the new, uh, the new 102-inch TV I just got. Right? Oh, come get my new car! It still has the new car smell. Hey, I love it too, so I do it. So, or it, it, it may be other things. Maybe you went on an awesome vacation, and you want to show people your pictures. Right? We've all had that experience. You get to p- picture four, and you're like, "Okay, I'm done," right? But people have experiences like vacations, and they want to show it off. Look at all these beautiful sights that I've seen. Look, look at all these things that I got to experience. These international trips—they want to show it off because it, it somehow affected them so greatly that they have to tell other people about it. And this is what Paul is trying to get at: is that the gospel is so good, the person and work of Jesus Christ is so great, is so grand. I have to tell you about it. I have to communicate this to you so that you too can come in obedience of faith and believe in Jesus and experience the glories of Him. That's what this gospel is about. It's not to be hoarded. It's to be handed out. It's meant to well up in us, overflowing from our mouths, so that the nations may hear of the glory of God. And so he says that there's appropriate response to this good news of Jesus. Look at what it says obedience of faith, or you could, you know, say faithful obedience or obedient faith, is that this is the the response that one is supposed to have when hearing this good news of Jesus, that they submit and place their faith in Christ, and then they have a lifelong commitment of obedience to him and his commands. This is the response that he is intending and that we should be intending when we communicate the gospel to people, that people would follow in obedience. And so faith and obedience can't be separated from one another, right? Our faith in Jesus will be evidenced by obedience, and we can't have obedience without faith in Jesus Christ. You, you can't separate them. They're like PB and J. You can't you, you can't separate PB and J. You've got to have PB and J, right? They can't be separated. And so just as this is that faith and obedience are so intertwined together, they, they cannot be separated. If it is true faith, it will evidence itself in obedience to Jesus' commands. And if you are obeying Jesus' commands, it's because you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. You can't have obedience without faith. And so this is a huge idea for Paul, is that this gospel is meant to be proclaimed so that people will come to faith in Christ and follow him all their life. I I want you to turn in your Bibles real quick to the end of Romans, Romans chapter 16, and look at verse 26 real quick with me. Verse 26, it's like the last two verses of the whole book of Romans, says this. So this mystery that was kept secret for long ages, that being the gospel, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the what? Obedience of faith. It's the same words that we have in Romans 1, 5. So here's what Paul's doing. He is bracketing or what we call bookending the book of Romans. Obedience of faith, obedience of faith on both sides, at the beginning, at the end. Because the whole book of Romans is not meant just to instruct you about who Jesus Christ is. It's meant to transform you so that you would respond in obedience and faith in Jesus. That's what the whole book of Romans is about. And that's why he brackets and bookends the book of Romans like this. The gospel and everything included in the book of Romans is about people hearing and believing in Jesus and obeying him all their lives. And so what what keeps Paul motivated in this mission? Because many of you probably have had this, this same experience where you may have had long time conversations with a friend or a family member and you feel like you're, you're just you're losing every battle. What continues to stir up Paul in the midst of persecution, trial, rejection he says it's the name of Jesus Christ That's what he says I do this for the sake of his name his reputation his person his character Jesus is not only the one that we speak about and who this gospel is about he is also the one that is compelling us motivating us giving us endurance perseverance in this mission So Jesus is not only one you proclaim, He is one who will sustain you in your mission by His Spirit. So we do this all for the sake of His name. And so if you've tuned out this whole time, let me just put everything I've said into a one-sentence line. That this gospel is from God, about God, and for God. Can we say that together? This gospel is from God, about God, and for God. Can we say that one more time? This gospel is from God, about God, and for God. It's from God that this message did not come out of the blue from man's thinking. It was actually from God himself. And this gospel is about God, the triune God, about Jesus Christ. And this gospel is for God. It's for the purpose of glorifying God. This gospel is from God, about God, and for God. That's what this is all about. And so what do we do from here? Well, I want to ask you this. Is your faith being followed and lived out in obedience to Jesus' commands? Is your faith being followed out in obedience to Jesus' commands? Consider this your life. Am I obeying what Jesus has said in every area of my life? Am I doing that? Because these two things are inseparable. You can't have faith without obedience. You can't have obedience without faith. So are you obeying Jesus? And if you come to the conclusion that you're not, maybe that says a lot more about your faith. Is that Are you truly being faithful to Jesus if you are disobeying His commands? Are you truly being faithful to Jesus if you're disobeying His commands? And in your walk with Christ, do you feel right now, do you feel compelled to share the glories of God in the gospel? Do you feel challenged right now by Paul from Romans 1, 1 2, 7 to tell our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers? I'll tell you this. This is convicting for me. I want to have a greater desire to share the gospel with the people around me. I want to have a greater desire. Because if this gospel is so glorious, and it is, If Jesus is so incredible, which he is, then it's not a gospel that we can hoard. It's a gospel that we must freely hand out. So is the gospel compelling you? The nature of of who Jesus is compelling you, motivating you? Is he your engine stirring you to share this good news with all people? Is it? So as you've heard this morning, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ who Christ is and what He has done for you, that He is He is God in flesh. He is the everlasting King. He's been raised from the dead. He's died for our sins so that we might respond in faith and obedience to Him. And this morning, if that is your response to this good news of Jesus, then I want to encourage you to come speak with one of our elders after the service. I'll be standing right here after the service. If you want to come speak with me about this good news of Jesus, about what Christ is, who He is and what He has done, I would love to speak with you about that. But believer, if if you're already in Christ, I'd love to speak with you if you want to speak with me about this too. But I want you to consider as we walk out today, is the gospel of Jesus, is Christ, is he compelling and motivating me and to share the gospel? And if not, what is holding me back from those things? been challenged by your word, from Paul, as a reminder that the gospel is good news, and it's about Jesus, it's not about us. So God, I pray that you would help us to fight pride, help us to fight uh, arrogance, and to think this world is about us, and to think that life is about us, God, this is our Father's world, your world that our lives would be focused and centered around making Jesus Christ's name. For he is worthy of all worship and praise and honor and glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing together. <laughs>